The scripture reading is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, verses 23 through 28. It can be found on page 838 in the Black Bibles. One Sabbath he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Derek and Emily. Thank you. Daniel as well. I don't know about y'all, but I was up a little bit late last night, later than normal on a Saturday. So uh, let's pray. I'm going to need the Lord's help here this morning. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that in you we find our rest and our hope. We pray that we would find that by your grace and the power of the Holy Spirit, even in this time and this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, at the beginning of this sermon, I think I need to make a confession to you, um, a confession that some of you may not actually like, and it is this. I harbor anger in my heart against Chick-fil-A. It's blasphemous, I know, even to speak these words, but I'll tell you why. Here's why I I harbor anger in my heart against Chick-fil-A. There is one time during the week that I am at my hungriest. There's one time during the week that I deeply, deeply crave a Chick-fil-A sandwich and waffle fries. And that time is at about 12.15 every Sunday after having preached twice. And then to add insult to injury, in order for me to to get to my house, well, I guess the most efficient way, I have to go that way, you know, to I-10. And I go that way to I-10, and I look off to my left, and there it is, taunting me. It is taunting me. It is saying, wouldn't you like to stop in here for some deep-fried deliciousness? And I say to myself, oh, yes. Yes, I very much would. And Chick-fil-A says to me, Well, tough. Not today, pal. No chicken for you. And then I think to myself, oh, Chick-fil-A, why do you torture me so? Now, obviously I'm kidding, but... uh, I, I actually love the countercultural stance of Chick-fil-A, you know, that they trust the Lord with their bottom line and uh, they provide rest to their employees, but truthfully, I really do very often long for a Chick-fil-A sandwich when I go by there and I think, why can't I get a Chick-fil-A sandwich on Sunday, you know, and, and, and when I think about that and, and when that kind of rushes in on me, it really does sort of hold into stark relief The difficulty that we have in our culture of finding rest. Because at heart, Jesus' conflict with the religious leaders in Mark chapter 2 that we just read about is about finding rest. You know, it, it is on the surface, as we'll see this week and next week, a conflict surrounding what is appropriate to do and not to do on the Sabbath day. And while the Sabbath is the presenting issue here, 
at, at the end of the day, it's really only the tip of the iceberg. There is a lot more lurking underneath the surface of what we can see. And what is lurking underneath the surface of what we can see is this challenge that we have to find our rest ultimately in Christ alone. You see, the, the rest that we are challenged to find is deep, abiding, ultimate, and actually eternal rest. Rest for our hearts. The rest from striving to encourage God to see us and to appreciate us and to love us. The rest from trying to make meaning in our lives through our work or through our parenting or through our grades or through our bodies. That is what is lurking beneath the surface. And we see it in this passage in two ways. First, the challenge of rest. And second, the provision of rest. First, the challenge of rest. I read an article a couple of weeks ago in The Atlantic that was discussing something that was really interesting in our culture. And what they were talking about was essentially the demise of what the author called forced rest or scheduled rest. Essentially, what has happened is this, that over the course of the last 20 or so years, work schedules have become unpredictable, even more so than they ever were. Work schedules have become so unpredictable, with less notice in changes of scheduling, that people can't schedule rest into their calendars anymore because they simply don't know with respect to enough time when they're going to get time off. It pointed actually to the application form that you have to fill out if you're going to work at Amazon. Any position at Amazon, from you know one of their corporate finance people to somebody on the ground delivering packages, on the application at Amazon it says by filling this out and submitting it, you acknowledge that your work schedule is flexible and it is subject to change with little notice. Uh, and so what, what that means is that people can no longer really plan their rest. You add to that the fact that our phones and our watches and our tablets are always with us, and so we end up working even when we're not at work. The consequences of this are a lack of rest. Demise, the demise of focused time with our families. The complete absence of what we used to all experience, which was a little bit of boredom, which actually left room for us to be creative and to develop relationships with our family members and our friends in an unhurried and an unplanned and an unscheduled and an organic way. See, our culture doesn't rest well. And it is paying the consequences, I think, in what has been documented as rising levels of anxiety and depression, rising levels of loneliness. Who knows what the consequences are going to be for families like, you know, kids my children's age, my, my college children's age, they're the really the first generation to grow up with parents like me who were constantly looking at a phone all the time at 9 o'clock at night, you know, when I was supposed to be doing something else. Who knows what the consequences are of that? I doubt that it's going to be good. So there's no doubt about it. Finding rest is challenging. We live in the age of rise and grind, right? These are all memes. The 25-hour workday, side hustles, and nobody wants to be the one that's not showing up. 
No one wants to be the one who doesn't answer the email at 10 o'clock at night. No one wants to be the one that doesn't pick up the phone even after you have gone to bed. No one wants to be the weak one. So what do we do? Well, we either forget about it, we push it off to the side, or we think, well, this is probably not a good thing, so what do I do about this? Well, we treat rest the same way that we treat work. We program it. And I don't mean taking care to put time in your schedule to rest and care for yourself. That's actually very important. What I'm talking about is we program rest the same way that we program our work. That if we can just do this right, if we can just get this right, if we can just, maybe if the church can just get this right, maybe then we could have some rest and we could develop some relationships. So we plan it. We make it into check marks. We make it into a part of our duty. And this is at the heart of the conflict that Jesus had with the Pharisees, right? The religious leaders, known as the Pharisees, believed this. If they could just get this right, if they could just get rest right, then they would be okay with God. So their conflict with Jesus comes down to a question of the heart. What are we talking about here? Are we talking about rest or are we talking about religion? You see, religion can actually pose a challenge to rest. Now, stick with me, because I, I, I actually, before I go any farther, I want to define what I mean by this. Christianity is, after all, a religion, and so I, sometimes I don't think that it's very helpful for people to say things like, you know, I hate religion, but I love Jesus. I find that to be very confusing. But here's what I mean by religion. This is what I mean. A mandated and prescribed path that aligns you in a place of obedience, whereby you are ultimately accepted by God. Okay? A mandated and prescribed path, a checklist, so to speak, whereby if you follow it faithfully, you'll be aligned with your duty and ultimately accepted by God. Now, maybe in order to understand what's going on with the Sabbath, we can understand a little bit more about what that means. You see, observing the Sabbath day which was originally for the Jews on Saturday, uh, for the Christian church merged into Sunday because that is the day of the Lord's resurrection. Observing the Sabbath along with circumcision for the Jews was the principal distinguishing mark that set them apart from all of the other peoples on all of the earth. It was very important to them. And the Sabbath actually precedes the Ten Commandments. It precedes the Law of Moses. The concept of the Sabbath is introduced by God himself into the creation of the universe, into the creation of the world. Genesis chapter 2 tells us that the Lord Jesus created the heavens and the earth in six days, and on the seventh day he rested from his labors. So this idea of, quote-unquote, needing to rest one day out of seven is not a result of sin. This is not something that is, that, that's come upon human beings as a punishment. This is built into us as a part of what it means to be human beings created in the image of God. Now, in the Old Testament, if you read then throughout the Old Testament, there are specific laws and specific mandates related to what is acceptable and unacceptable for God's people, the Jews, to do on the Sabbath day. But what happened was is that a lot of people actually were reading those things and they kind of came to the conclusion that these aren't specific enough. 
This is too broad and too general. We need more specific rules because the more specific our rules, the more we know whether we're in or out, the more we know whether we're good or bad, the more we can basically understand if we're superior to another person or not. And so over the course of many hundreds of years, religious leaders among the Jews took the Old Testament Sabbath commandments and they crafted those things into very, very specific rules about what was acceptable and unacceptable on the Sabbath. So much so that by the 2nd century AD, so about 100 years after this, so most of this was really uh, fully developed in Jesus' time, there were 39 very specific rules about what you could or could not do on the Sabbath day. And in case the first 38 weren't specific enough, the number 39 was this. It is prohibited to take anything from one place to another on the Sabbath day. It is prohibited to take anything from one place to another. So you see what is happening here? All of the ducks have to be in a row. All of the fences have to be completely set. All of the boxes have to be lined up so you can check them all off. And if you're able to check them all off, then you're okay, right? Now, you might think, well, that's weird. We don't operate like that. But in some ways, I think that our approach to our life with Christ can be very similar to that. You know, denominations like the one that we are in, and if you don't know, you're in a church, in the Presbyterian Church in America. That may not mean anything to you, which is fine. It's just a fact. But, uh, but, but, but churches like this one, I'm about to generalize here, so stick with me and don't be mad at me. Churches like, well, you can be mad at me, I don't really care. Churches like this one sometimes tend to populate with people who want to know what the checklist is for being okay with God. You know, confessional churches, churches that, that kind of have a system of theology, things like that, there tend to be a decent number of lawyers. No offense if you're a lawyer. There tend to be a decent number of engineers. There tend to be a decent number of kind of financial kind of people. You know, there tend to be a decent number of accountants, people who like things decently and in order, you know, those kinds of things. Uh, you know, want to know what the boundaries are. Some of those boundaries are even of our own creation. And if we can know what those boundaries are, if we can set the checklist and then we can check off the checklist, then we're good. Then we're good. But of course... This leads us to some problems. Main problem is the same problem the religious leaders had in their conflict with Jesus. If we're good and we've got the list and we know what the list is and other people aren't keeping the list that we created, well then they must be what? Well, they must be bad. Or at least if they're not bad, we're at least a little bit better than they are. Just a little bit better because we do things a little bit more orderly our list is tighter, our fences are tighter, we know what to do and we do them and we check them off and we're good and we can begin to feel superior to other people or even condemn them in our hearts or with our mouths or on Facebook. When this happens, when this sort of thing happens in our hearts, what we have done is we have reduced what it means to follow Jesus to a set of rules and requirements. And that, my friends, is not the gospel. That is not the gospel. Jesus has already announced what the gospel is in, in, in Mark chapter 1. The gospel is good news. It's news. It's not good suggestions. It's not good requirements. It's not good advice. The gospel is good news. 
Jesus is the Son of God who has come to take away the sins of the world. That if you receive him by faith, you will have eternal life in him. It's good news. So that's the challenge of rest, is that we tend toward religion rather than resting in Christ. So let's look then at the provision of rest a little bit more closely. So if the Sabbath is not about keeping rules, what's it about? Well, ultimately the Sabbath is about God's great love for you. If it is really about God's great love for you. That's about the only thing that Jesus could possibly mean when he says in this passage, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, the Sabbath was made to make you, the Sabbath was created to make you experience your full humanity. It was not created to put an extra burden on you or extra, or extra work in your life. It was created for you, for your humanity, for your rest. Because if you think about the Sabbath at all, you probably think about it as some outdated and antiquated concept that has just a bunch, you know, to do with a bunch of rules. But I think probably for most of us, we think about the Sabbath a little bit differently. And that is that we probably don't think about it at all, you know. And in our culture that runs 24 hours, seven days a week, it's hard for us to think about that. And it's a shame, really. Because besides gathered worship, which is massively important, there are two things that regularly resting from our labors help us with. The first is restoration. You see, if it is true that human beings are created in the image of God, and if it is true that God's creation pattern was to work six days and rest one day, and if it is true that part of what it means to image God is to follow his pattern of work and rest, then you and I are really only fully human when we slow down, when we stop working, when we stop running around like crazy one day in seven. And that, of course, involves great faith and great trust in the Lord, which is really the second benefit that we derive from Sabbath rest, because to take rest from your labors forces you to trust God to take care of you. It forces you to trust God to take care of you, that he will provide for you. When you know, and maybe some of you right now know this, maybe some of you are thinking about this in your brain as I'm talking about this, because you know that the people sitting in the cubicles around you right now are working. They are working. They're working to get ahead of you for their week. When you know that your competitors in your business field are right now grinding away on the proposal for the deal that you deeply, deeply long for and deeply, deeply hope for, and you're not, can you stop and can you rest and can you trust God? When you know that your classmates are right now studying and your parents made you come to church, are you okay with that? Can you stop? Can you rest can you trust God you know when Shannon and I were living in St. Louis uh, I was in seminary and 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 we had two very little kids and and there was a lot going on we had very little margin in our lives we really found out the beauty of Sabbath rest we had two little kids very little 
I was working full-time. I was going to school full-time. Shannon was trying to keep two little children alive and thriving. and she was, So our margins were zero. And frankly, our bank account pretty much every month got very close to zero, if not all the way to zero. There just wasn't a whole lot of like financial or time margin. My weekdays consisted of this. I would wake up in the morning. I would pour a cup of coffee in a travel cup. I'd kiss everybody goodbye. I would get in the car. I would go to school. I'd go to class. I'd get out of class. I would go to work. I would get off of work. I would come home. I would eat a quick dinner. And then I would study until I basically fell asleep in my books. That's what I did, like, you know, on the weekdays. And the Sabbath became this beautiful beautiful time for us because on Sundays all of that would change we'd wake up and we would go to church and worship together as a family we would come home and we would eat lunch together we'd a meal together as a family our children would nap and you know what we would do nap you know we would nap We'd wake up and we'd put the kids in a stroller and we'd go walking around our neighborhood. We would come home, we would cook a meal together, you know, just leisurely. We would just be together. But you know what? For a long time while that was our pattern, I always still had this nagging in my head. It would drive me crazy, you know. And it would always be, somebody, something would be whispering to me, you know, you could be finishing your paper right now. You know you could be getting ahead on your reading right now. You know you got a test this week. You could be reviewing for that test. And every once in a while on a Sunday like that when we were doing that, I would stand up and I would go walking toward my books. And Shannon would see me walking toward the books. I would take two steps and she would say, stop. No. And I would say, okay. You know, she had this radar. Uh, But do you know what happened? Do you know what happened? God took care of us. I'm, I'm standing here. I mean, I graduated from seminary. Uh, our children survived. Uh, you know, God cared for us. And it set a tone for health, really, and for, you know, a family that I'm so thankful for today. And it's really because Sabbath is not a burden. Sabbath is a manifestation of God's great love for you as a human being and as one of his children. But do you know what happens even when we take advantage on a weekly rhythm of that rest that God offers us? Do you know what happens? Monday happens. And it doesn't matter what stage of life you are in. Monday puts you back into some kind of a... So even, even if you love the thing that you do, it's still going to be frustrating at many places and at many parts. Whether it's waking up and going to a, a hospital or waking up and going to an office or waking up and going to school or waking up and caring for little ones or waking up and you know teaching your own children or teaching other people's children. It doesn't matter what it is that you're doing. It's going to have its moments of frustration and its moments of exhaustion and that leads us to the last point and that is that the Sabbath points us beyond itself there's more to it than just this one day of rest in seven it is it points to Jesus who is the Lord of the Sabbath I find it fascinating here in Mark chapter 2 that Jesus uses the word of and rather over he says that the that, that the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And he says it's not, he doesn't say that the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. And I think he does that on purpose because if Jesus said he was Lord over the Sabbath, it's still a radical statement. It's still, it's still going to, you know, people are still going to, you know, get really upset about that. And we'll talk about that in a second. 
But what he would be saying, if he was saying that he was Lord over the Sabbath, was that he could that he had the authority to change the rules, right? And he did have the authority to change the rules. But he didn't use the word over because why? He didn't want to focus on the rules. If he was Lord over the Sabbath, he could say, I'm Lord over the Sabbath, so from this day forward, I decree that my disciples can walk through the grain fields and can pick off heads of grain and can mash them in their hands and can eat them. We can do that. Strike that rule. But he doesn't want to focus on the rules. Why? He wants us to focus on him, the Lord of the Sabbath, the Lord of the Sabbath. You see, once again, Jesus is making a claim here that we simply cannot ignore. The Sabbath, he says, is mine. Why? I invented it. Not I, but Jesus. I invented it. I created it. I rule over it because I am God. I am God. So ultimately in that statement that the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus is not only making the claim of authority over the Sabbath, he's saying that he is the Sabbath. He is our ultimate Sabbath rest. Do you know why it is that we find it so hard to rest? Do you know why some of you in this room are true workaholics? And I don't say that lightly. I mean, like you just, you feel a, a deep sense of loss in your soul when you are not working or thinking about work or plotting about work. Do you know why that is? Uh, do you know why right now some of you are thinking, try not to think about work. He's talking about work, so try not to think about it. I can't, you know. Do you know why that is happening? It's probably not because you love it so much. You might say that it is. You might just say, I love what I do. I just, I have, a, I have such a passion for it. But it's probably really not that. You know, we work all the time. We think about work when we're not working. We worry about work when we're trying not to think about work. Why? Because in our culture, what we do in the world is synonymous with our identity. In our culture. It's not always been this way in the history of the world, but it is right now, especially in this place, in this city, in this subculture of this city that many of us live in. We are what we do. We are what we do. It's, it, it's not right. It's just the way that it is. But... When your work is your identity, when you are what you do, well, that is a cruel and unmerciful taskmaster. That taskmaster has no mercy on you whatsoever. Why? Because it's never done, right? The work is never over. You can't possibly leave it alone because if you leave it alone, it's not just that something might not get done, it's that somebody might beat you and then you're undone. You fold in on yourself. You don't know what else to do because you're untethered from any other rock or any other foundation that could possibly speak to you by way of your ultimate identity. Why are we workaholics? Well, it's a symptom, not the disease of itself. It's a symptom of a battle between saviors. That's what it is. It's a symptom of a battle between saviors. Because in one sense you are saying, either I am my own savior, I 
work to provide for myself. I make meaning through what I do. I provide. I built all of this. Look at what my hands have done. Or Jesus is your Savior. The one who has done all the work necessary to allow rest for your soul. Jesus says, all you who are weary and heavy laden, come unto me and you will find rest for your souls. Is that what you're longing for? Rest for your soul? Even at two o'clock on a Wednesday when something has just been thrown on your desk that is outside of your job description that you don't really even know how to do and someone is expecting of you? Can you even in that moment find rest in your soul because you know that your identity is ultimately not wrapped up in how you perform on that task? That's what Jesus is inviting you to. Really, something that concrete and beautiful. He's calling you to that kind of rest even when you pour your lives into your children and they make knuckle-headed decisions when they're teenagers and you go, what have I been doing for these last 14 years? Resting in Christ. Trusting in Christ. Giving your children to Christ. Jesus is our rest. Right now. Not just when we die and go to heaven. He's our rest now. Come unto him, all who are weary and heavy laden. You will in him find rest for your soul. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are our rest. As we go about what you have given us to do this week, help us and allow us and let us find the joy of resting in you. Amen.